1: Breaking news now, Nikki Haley announces a 2024 presidential campaign. The former South Carolina governor and United Nations ambassador becomes the first major challenger to former President Donald Trump. When Ed Kilgore found out yesterday that Nikki Haley was planning to run for president, he wasn't exactly surprised. Ed's a political columnist for New York Magazine, and he's been keeping tabs on Haley's career for a while.
2: And I think anybody who's followed her career knows that she's shown every indication of the affliction by which people, politicians, look in the mirror and see a future president of the United States. So I was not the least bit surprised.
1: Haley's only the second person to declare her intent to run in 2024. The other one, of course, is Donald Trump. A quick reminder, Haley achieved a national profile when she served as Trump's ambassador to the United Nations. Now, she's the first one to challenge him for the Republican nomination. To announce her candidacy, Haley released a video making her first presidential pitch to the country. Ed wasn't too impressed. The railroad tracks divided the town by race.
3: I was the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. Not black, not white. I was different. But my mom would always say your job is not to focus on the differences, but the similarities.
2: It's sort of the the non-white person who offers moral authority in absolving white conservatives of uh, any implications of racism.
3: Some look at our past as evidence that America's founding principles are bad.
2: And, you know, there's nothing that white conservatives love more than being reassured that they're not racist by non-white voices. And that's what Haley is taking advantage of. I must say, I didn't think it was very well done.
1: According to Ed, Haley's biggest problem is that she can't seem to articulate why she should be the next commander-in-chief. She's got no catchy slogan, no major endorsement, no particularly remarkable achievements to point to.
2: You know, she's actually a pretty well-known national Republican figure, yet she's mired in the low single digits in every poll that shows her going up against Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. So I don't, I'm not very impressed at at how she seems to be proceeding at this point. You know, there may be some sort of uh, hope that that DeSantis and Trump will engage in some sort of murder-suicide Act, in which they drive up each other's negatives to the point where Republican voters are looking for a fresh face and someone a little more positive than either of those gentlemen. But, the, but again, this gets back to her timing problem. All this has got to happen pretty fast. Today on the show, Nikki Haley wants
1: to take on Donald Trump. And even though it's February 2023, she might already be falling behind. I'm Mary C. Curtis, filling in for Mary Harris. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for,
0: quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet RAMP, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. RAMP's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: Can you introduce our listeners a bit to the Nikki Haley story starting with her early life in South Carolina?
2: Yeah, well, she grew up in South Carolina, the child of Indian immigrants who are actually Sikhs. She followed the Sikh religion until well into her adulthood when she converted to Methodism. And as a fairly young woman, she had a couple of business ventures. She was elected to the state legislature from a uh, Columbia suburb and very quickly identified herself with the hardcore right wing portion of the South Carolina party, but one that was, you know, thought of itself as modern and free of the kind of racism that it afflicted not just the state, but the Republican Party there for a long time. It's no
3: longer about electing Republicans. It's about electing conservatives. We need fresh faces, fresh voices, and fresh ideas working for the people of this state, not the power of the
2: legislature. So she was sort of a, you know, reform conservative figure in South Carolina. In 2010, when she ran for governor as a very much a long shot, She either was afflicted by or got lucky because of, depending on how you look at it, two different men made apparently baseless accusations of sexual infidelity on her part, that they had had flings with her, and they never supplied any concrete evidence. And that naturally made Nikki Haley, you know, a sympathetic figure to a lot of voters who had never heard of her. And that, you know, That also made her a great object of affection from Sarah Palin, who dubbed her a Mama Grizzly and came into South Carolina and campaigned for her, probably at the peak of Palin's popularity. And so at a pretty young age, I think she was still in her 30s, she she got the launch she needed and became governor of this very Republican state.
3: When we talked a year ago, I said, Governor, do you think South Carolina is ready for a female governor? And he said... I don't know about that, but they're ready for you.
1: And I remember that race and members of her own party did subject her to quite a bit of racist abuse as well. What kind of platform did she run on and what were her political priorities? Did she make them clear?
2: Well, she, I mean, her message, and again, this fit nicely meshed with the alleged scandals and the the efforts to smear her uh, as a woman, She was running against the good old boys uh, of the Republican, South Carolina Republican establishment. And in South Carolina, that, that doesn't just mean old men. It also means people that really were old Dixiecrats that migrated out of the Democratic Party to the Republican Party for convenience and brought a lot of their racist baggage along with them. And, you know, like a lot of other Southern states, there was a, you know, modern Republican movement. They called themselves at the time reform conservatives who wanted really hardcore right-wing fiscal and economic policies, but without the racism. And she was a perfect profile for that, not just because of her message, but because of her identity. And sure enough, she did beat the good old boys.
1: Well, it's interesting, the thing that probably many... National folks know her for was that stand taking down the Confederate flag from the State House grounds after the massacre in 2015. We all remember at Mother Emanuel. Authorities in Charleston, South Carolina are searching for a gunman who walked into a downtown church around 9 p.m. Eastern Time Wednesday night and opened fire. Nine people are dead. Eight were killed at the scene. And, the- and nine African Americans were shot and killed, including a legislator. Clementa Pinkley, and a reverend. Local officials called it a hate crime. Let yeah. me say
0: this is the, the worst night of, of my career. This is clearly- what do you make
1: of that and what folks perceived and what the reality was?
2: Well, she hit all the right notes at the time. There's no way I could criticize her reaction, her pretty much heartfelt sympathy for what happened, her efforts to sort of unite uh, black and white South Carolinians in mourning what happened in Charleston but she got adulatory national press for that that gesture. And I might add, it was a good 20 years after a previous Republican governor of South Carolina tried to do the same thing and and really got into political trouble for it. I I would argue that by the time Nikki Haley took down the flag, it was pretty much non-controversial, which showed some excellent timing on her part, but I think she got a little bit too much credit or being something that she's not, which is some sort of progressive or even moderate, I find it very interesting that she does not mention that in her announcement video. There are images of the days after the the massacre, but no reference to her taking down the Confederate flag from the state house. You know, she has subsequently, by the way, said that Dylan Roof, the the murderer in Charleston, mm-hmm. hijacked the Confederate flag, which was basically suggesting that it was a perfectly acceptable noble symbol uh, before he hijacked it in in his murderous rage. So I'm I'm not quite sure if she's really, she's soft peddling that to placate neo-Confederates in the Republican Party or what.
1: She also made a pretty big show of not supporting Trump in 2016 because of his rhetoric. Yep, And she tied that rhetoric to the violence like Charleston that was going on in this in the uh, country, but in 2017, she flip-flopped and joined his administration as United States Ambassador to the UN, United Nations. Nikki Haley, Ambassador
0: to the United Nations, has been very special to me. She's done an incredible job. She's a fantastic person, very importantly, but she also is somebody that gets it.
1: She so been- why the change of heart and what was her tenure there like
2: well I you know she she's hardly alone in um moving all over the place in her relationship with Donald J Trump among Republicans I mean her senior. US senator uh, Lindsey Graham is is, you know danced like Arthur Murray uh, you know <laughs> going back and forth on Trump for years so she's I don't know that she's distinguished herself in duplicity question of Trump, but she has moved around an awful lot she yes, she said harsh, harsh things about him in two thousand and sixteen, but then supported his general election campaign. She accepted a position in her his administration, but seemed to be whispering to media that she wasn't really his person. She um was appointed u n ambassador, checked that all- important foreign policy box. <laughs> And managed, and this, this really did impress me at the time, managed to sort of vaguely convey the sense that she was independent of Donald Trump in terms of what she said and did at the U.N. without ever really criticizing him either. So she developed this sort of reputation as uh, an independent figure who wasn't opposed to Donald Trump, but certainly wasn't his creature. All that
1: changed on January 6th, sort of. At the RNC the day after the insurrection, Haley told her fellow Republicans that Trump's, quote, actions since Election Day will be judged harshly by history, unquote. That level of conviction didn't last long, though. Ed put it like this.
2: After January the 6th, she said some very negative things about Trump, said she would, he had disqualified himself, frankly, from further national leadership,
1: Nikki Haley is now coming out criticizing her former boss telling Politico in an extensive new piece quote I don't think he's going to be in the picture. I don't think he can. He's fallen so far. We need to acknowledge he let us down. He went down the path he shouldn't have. Then
2: not too long after that she backtracked and said in fact if he ran for president in 2024 she would support him. Uh, Obviously that's not happening. I mean Her constituency in the Republican Party, if she's going to succeed in the presidential campaign, is going to be among people who are tired of Trump, whether they liked him or not or supported him or not in the past.
1: We'll be right back after the break.
3: Hi.
1: Much of Haley's career is built on her ability to play both sides, on the issues, on Trump, on pretty much everything.
2: But Ed says that won't be as easy in a presidential campaign. If she's serious about running for president, she's going to be spending a lot of time at pizza ranches in uh, Iowa very soon, where just regular Republican voters are going to ask her a lot of questions about who she is, what she's done, what she wants to do, And it's it's pretty serious scrutiny. So I to the extent that I think maybe she has benefited from some ambivalence about what she stands for uh, and from, frankly, unearned positive media attention that could wear off pretty quickly in a presidential campaign.
1: Do you think her announcement is amounting to maybe hopes that folks are finally casting Trump aside, both voters and the party?
2: Sure. I think that's the calculation. I, the problem is that's also the calculation of Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Mike Pompeo. Lord knows who is going to wind up in this race. And uh, all of them, not named Donald Trump, are going to be calculating that people, Republicans are tired of Donald Trump. Why Nikki Haley, though, as opposed to some of these other candidates, who are, who are particularly DeSantis, who's starting way, way way ahead of her early in the going and she is from an early state south carolina uh, which votes third in the uh in, in the republican uh presidential nominating contest donald trump had an event there recently where he locked up really about half the well-known politicians in the state including senator lindsey cram the current governor, the current lieutenant governor, the state treasurer, I think three members of the U.S. House. So, you know, she's got some catching up to do in her home state. And then, you know, Ron DeSantis will clearly be strong there, just like he is everywhere else at the moment. If she loses her home state, her her presidential campaign is done.
1: Well, I want to talk a little bit about her relationship with Trump. He usually goes harsh after someone who has criticized him so much in such stark condemnation as she did uh, when it came to January 6th. Uh, But he really hasn't come out yet. Does he see her as real competition?
2: Frankly, Trump's public attitude towards her can only be described as condescending. It's going to be interesting from his point of view, how he talks about Haley. But I, I, I don't think I think his general posture right now is he doesn't take her seriously enough to go after her the way he normally does his political rivals. And who knows? I mean, any given moment, Donald Trump can erupt, erupt and he may give her a nasty nickname. He may go after her personally. Who knows? The problem for Nikki Haley is that's not within her control. So, if she's going to define her relationship with Donald Trump in a way that improves her prospects, she's got to get on it right now, not just wait around to see what he's going to do.
1: The open question is exactly what shape Haley's ambitions will take if being president isn't on the table. Some commentators have already begun positioning her as a possible vice presidential candidate on Trump's ticket. And while Ed's quick to point out that it's racist and sexist to assume that's the most Haley can aspire to, He says it's also not clear she's ruled being VP out.
2: If, let's just say for the sake of argument, she does wanna be vice president and Trump wins the nomination and she's on his list, there've been reports already that Trump is maybe exclusively considering women as running mate for all kinds of obvious reasons. I do think that if she winds up in that position She's not going to have the independence uh, from Trump that she sort of implied that she had as a member of his administration. I mean, the, the perpetual role model for a Trump vice president is Mike Pence prior to January 6th, which the sort of craven, you know, toadying to, to to the president with his big shoulders, as as Mike Pence said about a thousand times. I think the bigger question about the vice presidency is whether Haley really wants to do that. And of course, there's also the very strong possibility that the nominee is not going to be Donald Trump. It's going to be Ron DeSantis. And she's 51 years old, which is pretty young, uh, you know, in terms of contemporary presidential expectations. You know, she's basically a quarter century younger than Donald Trump. And, you know, she, she doesn't have to run for president right now, which, again, is part of the reason I wonder why she's doing it right now. But, I, you know, nobody really knows what the post-Trump Republican Party is gonna look like. It's probably gonna be a little Trumpier than she's shown herself to be so far, and there's competition. So maybe she is the future of the Republican Party, but it may be a really distant future at this point.
1: Thank you, Ed Kilgore.
2: Thank you, Mary.
1: Ed Kilgore is a political columnist for New York Magazine. That's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We're getting help from Jarrett Downing and Laura Spencer. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary C. Curtis, columnist for Roll Call and host of its Equal Time podcast. Thanks for listening.